and this is my impression of a politician. I believe in the people and their cars and progressive and the fact that you, yes, you can plug in snapshot to save even more money for being a good driver. I also believe in Sasquatch, but more as a joke, but also kind of seriously. Safe drivers save with Snapshot from Progressive. I approve of this message, and Sasquatch, if you are real, you can totally be my running mate. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company. Snapshot not available in all states. Real gon' recognize, real gon' recognize, real gon' recognize, real, real. Only gon' recognize, still, still. I reckon I will. Like we always do with this time. I go for mine, I get to shine. Now throw your hands up in the sky. I go for mine, I get to shine. Now throw your hands up in the sky. K-I-R-P When you're looking for real truth, real talk radio, make sure you log on to KIRPRadioshow.com. Sunday nights live, 8 p.m. with your host. Rocco P. This last Sunday's with Rocco P. Welcome to the KIRP radio show. Keeping it real with Pudgy. I deeply appreciate the opportunity that Pudgy Miller does give me once a month to use his platform to uh, host this show. Uh, There's been uh, a lot of talk recently since uh, John Piper uh, from Minneapolis had written a piece on his site, Desiring God, and basically that was in response to what Jerry Fowler Jr. had said. We will get into that. I don't want the entire show to be a critique of what John Piper said. But there's a lot of there's a lot of issues that are at stake. Really, essentially, what we're talking about is is there a legitimate biblical basis? Uh, does the Bible teach or permit a believers in the Lord Jesus to practice self-defense, and in particular to practice self-defense to the point of deadly force? And obviously, there's a logical issue here. If someone is approaching you. Uh, attempting to do you harm, attempting to deprive you of life, uh, life or limb, using deadly force, then uh, it would obvi- would it be appropriate to then respond in the same way? Uh, is is self defense biblical? Really, that's that's essentially what we're going to talk about. And there's a lot of issues here. We intersect the Bible. The Bible intersect with civil law, and of course, the highest law of the land is the federal constitution. And state constitutions really reflect a lot of what's in a lot of the rights that are uh, described in the federal constitution. So we'll get into some of that philosophy as far as what the so-called civil magistrate, what secular government says, uh, how believers are to function. And again, is there is there a responsibility for believers to defend themselves? Is it a matter of Christian liberty? Uh, in other words, does a Christian have the the right before God to say they would or would not defend themselves and others, other innocent lives? Uh, is it always wrong? Some people would say it's always wrong. Piper came extremely close to essentially saying that. He danced around that. And some would say it's always right. It is always right uh, for believers to defend their lives and defend the lives of innocent people. 
if, if we uh, if we back up, I wanna I wanna talk about something that happened back in 2007. Back in 2007, you may or may not remember this story. Oftentimes, when mainstream media talks about gun violence, they always talk about when people are victimized. Uh, they'll talk about they'll sensationalize the deaths uh, and it's always spun or presented in my opinion to attempt to demonize the firearms and obviously there is there is uh, a huge political agenda in that is a huge political agenda the fact is if you've done any research you know all around the country people uh, innocent people defend themselves prevent themselves from being victims all the time happens all the time but the news does not report on that they don't want to give attention to that because they want to create a false narrative they want to create the narrative that gun violence is out of control it's not i don't have the fbi statistics in front of me if you look at it uh gun violence gun deaths has gone down and when you consider the number the magnitude of the number of guns, firearms we have in the United States. No one knows the exact number, but a conservative number would be 100 million. Okay, so we got probably 100 million firearms of different types out there. And the number of gun deaths is really tiny compared to that, that number. Last year I saw the stats, I think it was around 3,000 gun deaths per year. And then when you factor out the suicides, it's it's around half of that. And then when you drill down further, uh, as far as the mass attacks, most of those are gang-related. But they always want to give attention to any any uh, any shooting event where a lot of people become victims. They never want to talk about the really common occurrences where people use a firearm, even just having a firearm, not even firing it, just... Many, many assailants, many people that are criminals uh, want to prey on those that they believe can't defend themselves. So the presence of a firearm often de-escalates many situations. But again, the secular media, the news, mainstream media will have none of that. They don't want to discuss that. Back in 2007 in Colorado, you may, you may remember this, in Colorado Springs, there's a, there's a New Life Church. They consider it a mega church. I don't know how many people there, thousands. And there was a really a disturbed young man. I think he was about 24 years old. He had shot some people in Arvada, Colorado, which was a distance from Colorado Springs. But he went to he went to a ministry there, Youth with a Mission, and he killed at least two people there. I believe at least one or two others were injured. Then he headed to New Life Church in Colorado, Colorado Springs. New Life Church again, as a mega church. Most big churches are fairly organized. And as part of their security, they had people on security that are really exclusively were comprised of church members. I don't know if they still do that. That's what they did in 2007. So the church security was comprised, comprised exclusively of the members of New Life Church. And roughly half of them had concealed carry permits. Roughly half. That was the situation back on December 10th, 2007. So the government had showed up after having killed uh, two people in Arvada, Colorado. He shows up at New Life Church in Colorado Springs, and um, he had two rifles, uh, three handguns, and about a thousand rounds 
I don't know the breakdown. I had read, I, I went over some of the articles today. If all the 1,000 rounds were rifle rounds or not, I'm not sure. But he was heavily armed. He went to the church. I think he had fired some rounds in uh, in the parking lot, so they knew someone was coming. And one person who was there, one of the uh, church volunteers and security staff who was actually armed, he uh, he didn't do anything. I guess he he just rose. So nothing. There wasn't any encounter. The uh, the shooter just passed by him. Then. Um, he came into contact with a woman. Okay, there was a woman, woman named Jean Assam, A-S-S-A-M, Jean, Jean Assam. And she had an angle on him. She saw he had passed by the other person. She drew her side on and told him to freeze. He didn't, and she shot him, and he unfortunately died. Uh, think what would have happened if Jean Assam did not use that firearm, I think what would have happened. With a thousand rounds, again, <laughs> this person was already demented enough to have already taken innocent life at Youth with a Mission in, in Arvada. What would have happened? Uh, so she was, in a very real sense, a hero. But we didn't really hear about a lot of that on the news because that didn't fit the narrative. They, once again, want to, the secular media mainstream media wants to demonize guns, they want to demonize gun ownership, and they really present a statist worldview, okay, a statist worldview on guns. In other words, they want you to believe that the only people that should have firearms would be police and military of the state. And when that happens, everyone is less safe, not more safe. And, you know, we've talked, you know, I've, I've talked a little bit, but I mean, I've talked a little bit on the show before about about uh, gun control, gun violence. Uh, to me, uh, the political argument, the moral argument is very clear. Again, we'll get into the Bible. But if you pass laws, restrict any type of laws, restrict guns or gun ownership, New Jersey has you know, profoundly uh, stupid laws saying you can't have hollow points. You know what a hollow point is? Hollow point is a concave tip on the bullet, so that means the first thing after the bullet is fired hits. Most of the force is absorbed by the first thing it hits. Okay, when you use ball ammo, that's solid. It can penetrate through whatever it hits. So there's a lot higher chance of people, innocent people, getting injured when you use ball ammo. So New Jersey, in their infinite wisdom, they uh, it's really more, you know, the police state is far more advanced in the uh, metro New York City area, New Jersey in particular, that they say you can't have hollow points. But in any case, all the purpose of the gun laws is. Uh, if you think about it philosophically, it's very easy. Uh, if you pass laws restricting guns, gun types, ammunitions, the way they're stored, the way they're carried, the way they can't be carried, that only assists criminals. That only helps the criminals because, by definition, the criminals are not going to obey the gun laws. And by attempting to objectify the violence by saying the, the problem is fire or firearms? Okay, that's logically inconsistent. It's, it's absurd. If the problem was firearms, well, then you disarm the police, disarm the military. Obviously, you disarm. Why are the police armed? Okay, police are armed because it's understood. You could use the word presupposition. It's understood. There's presupposition 
that the people the police are dealing with aren't going to obey the law. Therefore, <laughs> the police are armed. Why should people that aren't police be disarmed? It only places them at, at really, it places them in a position to become victims. We see this over and over and over again uh, in the cities and municipalities, the states, where there's more, particularly cities where there's more restrictive gun laws, there's much more horrifically high gun violence. A great example is Colorado, is uh, Chicago, Chicago, Illinois. You have a virtual handgun ban there in Chicago, and criminal element runs wild. People get shot all the time. Those who would attempt to be irrational and blame the firearms would say, well, those firearms in Chicago the gun control laws work. They come in from outside the city. Well, that begs the question, well, then why outside the city when there's more liberal gun laws? Why don't you see that type of violence? And, yeah, I've heard the same I've heard the same uh, idiocy about D.C. Well, the problem with D.C. in gun violence is the firearms come in from you know, Virginia and elsewhere. So then that begs the question, why don't we see the type of gun violence and crime in Virginia as we do in D.C.? Well, that's because the people are armed and victims want soft targets. But I'm going to play a video from Jean Assam back in uh, 2007. Uh, the pastor there, and then she explained what had happened. And this really illustrates the reality of where the rubber hits the road, so to speak, of where we live. You're in a situation where you had a large church. They had people on staff, really members, volunteer staff, half of whom had concealed carry. And it did work. Uh, it prevented it prevented innocents uh, from being killed. But I'll uh, I'll play it for you now. We have a team of about 12 people that provide security at New Life Church. On a normal Sunday, about half of them are armed. Uh, they are all uh, licensed. They are trained. They are equipped. They are screened. But it, it obviously yesterday, if we had not had an armed person on our campus. Oh, 50 to 100 people could have lost their lives yesterday. Have you always had armed guards, or was this a, a recent development? Well, always. The church is 22 years old, so not always. But in the past few years, because of the stature of the church and because of the, uh, the prominence of the church, we felt the need for that. It was in place when I became pastor four months ago, this uh, policy of allowing licensed uh, security guards on our staff. They're members of our church. These are people who tend and worship at our church. These are not mercenaries that we hire to uh, uh, walk around our campus and provide security. These are people who worship there, who have a sense of ownership at the church. I want to extend my sympathy to the families of the victims and of the gunmen, and I mean that very sincerely. And uh, really, I... What happened yesterday were uh, at the church, I heard shots fired, and uh, there was chaos. There was a lot of people in the church, and the uh, people were running away from where the shots were fired, and they were, the, the uh, shots were so loud, I thought he was inside, and uh, he wasn't even inside yet when I heard the, the rounds, and um, I saw him, it seemed like the halls cleared out, and I saw him coming through the doors, and uh, I took cover, and I waited for him to get closer, and I came out of cover and uh, identified myself and engaged him and, and uh, took him down. And that's pretty much it.
that uh that's pretty much it to me um it appears that it's uh at the political level i mean uh at the rational level uh yeah philosophical level it's it's a pretty easy debate it's really it's almost non debate if we disarm people, we put the people at the mercy of the criminals. Yeah, and that's why life in Chicago is you know, very dangerous. That's why life in uh, Washington, D.C. is more dangerous. The people are disarmed. So we get back to the U.S. and how we have the laws here. You back up and see what what was you know, the philosophical basis of uh of U of US law. Okay, that's that's a huge it's a huge issue. <laughs> I am not stating that uh, all the founding fathers were believers, very few were, some were, but they were deeply influenced by the scriptures. Uh there is uh there's no doubt. There's a lot of bad uh there's a lot of bad teaching out there, really fake scholarship about America's founding fathers. You have someone like David Barton, uh, he wrote a book about Thomas Jefferson, said Thomas Jefferson was a believer in the Lord Jesus. Uh, that was an out-and-out lie. Uh, Thomas Nelson has basically pulled David Barton's book from the shelves. Uh, it's uh, it's out there, but they didn't produce it anymore. Uh, so you have to be careful what you're reading. And I'm not advocating that for you. Most of the most of the founding fathers were not believers, but they were deeply influenced by a Christian worldview and the scriptures. A good book, you want to read it. Uh, along those lines would be the religious beliefs of America's founding fathers, reason, revelation, and revolution. The religious beliefs of America's founders. That's by George Frazier. Alas, I remember he teaches at the Master's College, and he goes through, uh, gives you breakdown as far as you know what different uh, what different founding fathers uh, believed. Well, who who were they influenced by? Okay, they were influenced a lot by uh, English common law. They were influenced by a man named John Locke. John Locke uh, was born in 1632, died in 1704. Uh, he was born in, uh, he was raised in a Puritan home in England. And John Locke, yeah, profoundly influenced Western philosophy, and he clearly shaped the thinking of some of America's founders. I mean, Hamilton was clearly influenced by John Locke. Thomas Jefferson was clearly influenced by John Locke. How did John Locke view? Self-defense. Okay, uh, John Locke stated, "Self-defense is the first law of nature. Each person owns his or her own life, and no other person has a right to take that life. Those who would attempt to stop you from defending yourself are attacking the very right from which all the rights are derived: protection of one's own life. First law of nature: each person owns his or her own life." And no other person has a right to take that life. Those who would attempt to stop you from defending yourself are attacking the very right from which all other rights are derived. Protection of one's own life. So then you go to you go to uh the Declaration of Independence. Okay. Thomas Jefferson wrote that at the ripe old age, thirty three years old. And he wrote things like this We hold these truths to be self evident that all men are created equal that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent 
of the governed. Sir Jefferson spoke about a creator, though he was not a believer. He understood uh, our rights came from a creator. And he said that they were unalienable. They were unalienable. Life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. First one being life. And that, of course, is why it's uh, it's it's just horrifically bad and a complete contradiction of the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution that abortion is legal in this country. But I'm not talking about abortion tonight. Bill of Rights, Article 2. Uh, Bill of Rights. Uh, a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. What were what were those first ten amendments to the Bill of Rights? After after the American Revolutionary War, they had the, the Articles Confederation uh, plan was underway. I won't discuss all the details where the certain people had wanted a stronger federal government, and out of that, they produced the Constitution. Many, such as Patrick Henry, had a debate then between the Federalists and the Anti-Federalists. The Federalists wanted a much stronger federal government. They essentially won that debate with the adoption of the Constitution. But the Anti-Federalists, like Patrick Henry, had argued that uh, they were deeply concerned that the newly formed federal government, and after the Articles of Confederation uh, were abolished, that in adopting the new Constitution, or as they would call it the Compact, that individual liberties, and particularly states' rights, would uh, eventually be eroded and replaced and really trampled by the powers of this uh, new, improved, more more powerful federal government. So you read the Federalist Papers, and people like Hamilton argued for the adoption of the new compact of the Constitution. Then you read the Anti-Federalist Papers, where they argued about the flaws and potential dangers of a stronger federal government. When the Constitution was ratified by the states, we have detailed notes about the state ratifying conventions, and they were very clear to discuss about you know the the, the reservations they had about adopting the new Constitution. And the historical truth is that the Constitution was only ratified with the promise of the ratification of the Bill of Rights. So, in states like North Carolina. We had people like James Iredell and Samuel Johnston when they talked about they had these discussions uh, at the ratifying convention at the state level to adopt or not adopt the new the new compact the constitution. It was only adopted, it was only ratified with the promise of the passage of the Bill of Rights. What was the Bill of Rights? The Bill of Rights don't grant us any rights, it's negative affirmations, in other words. The anti federalists placed their finger on a problem that still plagues us to this day, and they basically said, how do we know that the federal government will not act in ways outside the parameters or the bounds of the Constitution? And those who defend the compact, like Hamilton said, it's in black and white, it's not there, they can't do it. It's very easy. The anti-federalists said, we still want to make it abundantly clear there's things that the federal government can't do. So, the Bill of Rights is a negative affirmation. In other words, when people talk about our Second Amendment rights, there sometimes uh, sometimes they say it in passing, uh, and other people are outright wrong, and they basically say we only have the right to keep and bear arms because there's Second Amendment, and that's completely erroneous. If we held to the original intention 
of the Constitution. If the Bill of Rights were repealed, all those rights remain because, again, they're negative affirmations. And only, it only, can, it only uh, confirms what the federal government do. So this is, uh, this is the government we found ourselves in. It goes back to John Locke, who influenced the founders. And Locke had that view of self-defense, even to that point where he said, uh, those who attempt to stop you from defending yourself are attacking the very right from which all the rights are derived. And that does make perfect sense because if you're not alive anymore, you can't, you can no longer defend your rights. Uh, however, you construe those rights. Uh, and of course, I believe they come from God. If you do not believe in my God, uh, of course, I would, I'd appeal to you to repent. But as far as the civil government is concerned, you have your rights because you were created in the image of God. Even if you deny him, you have natural rights because you're a human being. Uh, though you would deny the existence of God, unfortunately. So today, um, we have a debate among professing believers. And when I say professing believers, among people that believe the Bible and believe the Bible to be true. And that debate really is, should Christians be armed or should they practice self-defense? And you know where I already stand, uh, Historically and philosophically, uh, I think there is there is no debate. Uh, the uh, when you look at the background of the founders, uh, John Locke, uh, it's it's very clear the right to self uh, the right to self defense existed. But uh, obviously, Christians believe the Bible, so you you would then be in a position to say, okay, well. Certain Christians are using the scriptures to say that either A, that right isn't there, or B, it's just not clear. It's just not clear. And where John Piper came, came up, he, he was responding to what Jerry Fowler Jr. had said. Okay. That's what he was responding to. Jerry Fowler Jr. in Virginia, and uh, in their convocation, I guess, their chapel time, they call it convocation since... Liberty University, though it is, I believe, the largest Christian university in the world, it still has accepted state funds. So I think it's technically convocation now, it's not chapel. I'm not really sure. But Fowell had made some statements, and he could have clearly expressed himself better. I mean, there, there's there's absolutely no doubt in what he said. Uh, I think what he said was correct, but he could have said it uh, better, and he did clarify himself to, after that. Uh, this is what, uh, on December 4th, this is what Jerry Fowell Jr. had said. I just want to take this opportunity to encourage all of you to, uh, where is it? Here. Start the right place here. For the sake of the safety of his campus in view of terrorist activity, President Fowell encourages students to get permits to carry guns. After implying that he had a gun in his back pocket, he said, I just want to take this opportunity to encourage all of you to get your permit. We offer a free course, and let's teach them a lesson if they ever show up here. Okay. So that last statement, let's teach them a lesson that they ever show up here, that uh, I don't think he should have said it uh, because that was uh, that created that created the, the idea and the impression that uh, he was just waiting for the opportunity to kill terrorists or anyone, any murderers that showed up on campus. So, that, yeah, that's, and, and pretty much Fowell did. He did clarify that. But uh, why did Jerry Fowell... Why did he take that position? He said, okay, well, because like me, he believes 
he believes in John Locke. Uh, and he, and I, uh, I think he does probably believe all those things, but it came to a very, a very practical reason. If you remember the Virginia Tech shooting a couple of years ago, that was down the road from Lynchburg. And at Virginia Tech, when that, uh, that student had showed up armed, no one else was armed because the people that obeyed the law then became victims. So Jerry Fowler, the junior, doesn't want that to happen at Liberty University. I think that's a good thing. I think it's a very good thing. John Piper's paper was dated December 22nd, and a number of Christians, particularly uh, J.D. Hall, they've written some really good responses, and I should post that on my site, paradeshift.net. I should do that tonight, paradeshift.net. I'll throw up J.D. J.D. Hall's response. But Piper goes through the scriptures, and at face value, one of the things he did is he ignored the whole Old Testament. And, yeah, that was uh, that was irresponsible, okay? And, you know, there's a huge debate in terms of Christian interpretation, the interpretation of the Bible, as far as the relationship between the Old and New Testament. I don't mean to, uh, I'm not going to solve that tonight. Suffice it to say, uh, any Christians that believe the Bible is true, they do believe that there's relevance to the 39 books of the Old Testament. Uh, how those how those books relate to the New Testament, again, there's different nuances. Uh, a traditional interpretation is that uh, the law of the Old Testament is divided into three categories, civil, ceremonial, and moral. And I think that's, that's the useful classification. That's, use, that's the useful way to look at it. So, in other words, there's moral teaching in the Old Testament concerning self-defense. That would still be valid today. So one of those texts, and, and a number of critics of John Piper mentioned this, one of those texts that he avoided was in Exodus 22. Uh, Exodus 22, verse 2 says, If a thief is found breaking in and he is struck so that he dies, there shall be no guilt for his bloodshed. So if someone breaks into your house, and uh, they're saying it's a thief, they break in to steal something, you're there, if he's struck and he's injured to the point that he dies, there's no bloodshed. Now, to me, again, that makes perfect sense because there's no there's no idea of vengeance or vindictiveness. Someone breaks into a home and then you don't know the intent. The text says the thief. He's struck, and if he dies, the person who struck him, the person in their home, then isn't guilty. The, the place where we've got to today in the States, of course, is such that uh, in some states, you can't even have a gun in your home. Okay, you think about uh, New York City and Chicago, and again, we see we see the problems in those places. But Piper Piper was uh, he was reacting to what Fowell had said, and the his position was you know it was just really loaded with contradictions. Uh, he starts out. And he says, the issue is not primarily, this is John Piper, the issue is not primarily about when and if a Christian may ever use force in self-defense or the defense of one's family or friends. There are significant situational ambiguities in the answer to that question. Okay. So he says it's not primarily about a believer in the Lord Jesus ever using force for self-defense or in defense of one's family or friends. But then in the rest of the article, 
he basically conflates everything in other words, he confuses the issue and he'll look at certain he'll look at passages in the New Testament again, he avoids he avoids the entire Old Testament. He looks at the New Testament and he's he repeatedly says, and we'll look at some of those passages, especially in Romans, he comes down and he says, Well, uh it's really wrong because then uh you're using vengeance, like no, no, self defense is, isn't vengeance. And uh he should know better. I mean, uh he should just he should know better. And that's always a warning when you read the scripture. All of us have a background. We all have we all have uh, a presupposition. We have a pre-understanding before we open up the text. But if you believe the text is true, you have to really be careful to identify what your pre-understanding is, what you bring to the text to attempt to get the correct interpretation of the text. You interpret the text correctly, then you could apply correctly. Piper said to say did not interpret the text correctly, and that's why he misapplies it in this area. So he goes on to say it's not primarily about self-defense, but it really was. But then he makes a statement that, to me, that this was uh, this is this was just terrific. There are significant situational ambiguities in the answer to that question. Uh, I respectfully disagree with John Piper. <clears throat> I don't think. There are these significant situational ambiguities in the answer to that question. In other words, along in the spirit of Exodus of Exodus 22, verse 2, uh, obviously in the situation that would be clear cut. If someone's breaking into your home, okay, if you use deadly force, <clears throat> it's completely justified. If you are defending uh, a family member uh, who's innocent, that's justified. If, if that family member's attacked. If uh, if a friend you're with is attacked, that's completely justified, self-defense. So uh, there's a lot of I think uh, I think JD JD Hall uses an interesting phrase. I think he calls it the evangelical intelligentsia, <laughs> uh, the evangelical intelligentsia. And he's talking about really uh, a group of people and a mindset among evangelicals where they attempt to basically be the self-proclaimed intellectual leaders of Christianity and they pronounce judgment upon everyone else because they think they're smarter than everyone else and they're at a different level. And unfortunately, uh, you know, John Piper is in that category. Uh, it would be one thing if he wrote a piece that where he could interact with someone. And again, the stuff I said about John Locke, uh, he should know. He's well-educated. The stuff I said about the U.S. Constitution, he should know he's well-educated. And to completely not avoid the entire Old Testament is inexcusable. So it, it's kind of like with certain Christians, if you're familiar with that website, Snopes, S-N-O-P-E-S, Snopes.com. I don't endorse it. I think I largely think it's trash. But Snopes has presented themselves as the arbiter of all that's true on the Internet. And they have an agenda, and they're they're they've been wrong because they have an agenda. And sad to say, yeah, people like Piper place themselves uh, in this position where he thinks yeah he's he's going to pass judgment on Jerry Fowler Jr. and others. I got a got a call online. I got a friend before I go to him, uh, a friend who's well versed in scripture. Uh, I'm I'm gonna play I'm gonna play one more clip, and. Uh, this is, uh, you know, we'll get back, we'll get back to, we'll get back to the scriptures in Romans. But the reason I'm going to play this clip is this, this illustrates where we live in the United States, where the original compact, again, we have a government that was originally set up to protect the rights of the individuals. 
That's what it's for, is to protect the rights of the individuals. And again, go back to the Bill of Rights. The Bill of Rights was written as negative, affirm- negative affirmations to confirm what the government could not do. Now things have become inverted, and the government ascribes itself, uh, authority to itself. It was never, never had. And we're really going, in philosophical terms, we're going from the rule of law to the rule of men. In other words, the rule of law is written. The founders wanted a written constitution because in England they didn't have a written constitution. They had a constitution, but it wasn't written. So when they wrote the Declaration of Independence, it was a written document. When they wrote the Constitution, it was a written document preceding that. When they wrote the Ars Confederation, it may sound redundant, it was a written document. They wanted to elaborate clearly what the role of government was. And once again, the philosophy behind the philosophy behind it was pretty clear. Government existed to protect the rights of the individuals. Now, okay, that's been inverted. Uh, during Hurricane Katrina, you may not know, Guns were confiscated. They were the NRA. I don't completely endorse the NRA. Uh, I, they do a lot of good things, but to a large degree, that they, they cooperate with gun control. They have for years because they tell their constituents that gun control laws are inevitable. Therefore, just be at the table and go along with it. And I, I think that is false. Uh, but in any case, they put they put together a good video. I'm not going to play it. NRA, the, the untold uh, NRA, the untold story of gun confiscation after Katrina. You could do YouTube and pull that up easy. What I'm going to play is a piece from KSLA News. This is uh, a secular news station out of Shreveport, Louisiana. And they report in 2007, after Katrina, a couple of years after what had happened, and there's a FEMA program, there's a clergy response team, where the federal government uses pastors, and they basically tell the pastors to shape their message, to convince people, their congregations to do, uh, to submit to the government. And the, while the Bible, of course, does teach submission, we will be looking into, we'll be looking at Romans 12 after I get Andrew on the phone in a few moments. Uh, this is this piece was really disturbing because all the passages spoke with you'll hear essentially say. Uh, their role was to just do whatever the government tells them to do, and that's not biblical. Government has government has a limited role. God did establish government. It does have a limited role, but particularly in the U.S. context, going back to what John Locke believed, as reflected in our Declaration of Independence and the Bill of Rights, the goal of that government is to protect individuals' liberties, not to take those liberties away at whim. But this is that piece from KSL News in Shreveport, Louisiana. While ever become a reality in America, some fear any nuclear, biological, or chemical attack on U.S. territory might trigger just that. And as KSL News 12's Jeff Farrell discovered, the question would help the government with potentially their biggest problem, us. captures a truly American value, the overarching desire to protect our freedoms. But gun confiscation is exactly what happened during the state of emergency following Hurricane Katrina in New Orleans. U.S. troops also arrived, something far easier to do even now thanks to last year's elimination of the 1878 Posse Comitatus Act that forbid U.S. troops from policing on American soil. If martial law were enacted here at home, like depicted in the movie The Siege, easing public fears and quelling dissent would be critical. And that's exactly what the clergy response team, as it's called, helped accomplish in 
any wants. The primary thing that we say to anybody is just cooperate and get this thing over with, and then we'll settle the differences once the crisis is over. Such crazy response teams would walk a tightrope between the needs of the government versus the wishes of the public. In a lot of cases, these clergy would already be known in the neighborhoods in which they're helping to defuse that situation. For the clergy, one of the biggest tools that they will have in helping calm the public down or obey the law is the Bible itself, specifically Romans, Romans 13. org, which is back online just as a few moments ago. We've been under all day an attack. It's called the denial of service attack. Uh, ourselves and CARM, Christian Apologetics Research Ministry, has been uh, down all day. People have been huh? wanting our sites off the air <laughs> or off the Internet. Uh, yeah, my, site's, uh, my site's not that important, so I haven't been attacked yet. So I guess I have to get to that <laughs> point where I... I know enough people, so that hasn't happened. So, did, did, you, did you read the Piper piece? I, I have not read it in its entirety. Um, I, you know, I, I would like to comment though on something that you, sure. you just played. Sure. As far as you know, pastors, in, you know, this is a misnomer. Pastors that are saying to their folks, "Hey, look, Romans thirteen. We have to. We have to give in." our weapons if the government asks for them. Well, wait a minute. What law, but under what law is the government asking for those weapons? There isn't one. I mean, that's the Correct. whole point. They're, they're, they're creating laws that violate the Constitution. So Romans 13, we should turn to those, you know, people coming and saying, uh, excuse me, what law are you breaking? <laughs> I mean, if no. you're going to obey yeah, the law, then we have the right to bear arms against a tyranny of of government, and that's really what we're what we're up against. No, I I, I, I completely agree with you. J. D. Hall touched on that in his piece, and J. D. Hall's a patriot. Uh, yeah, I've heard. Yeah, I've read some of his stuff. I've, I've heard. I've heard enough of him. Uh, he understands. Uh, he understands that philosophical background, and that is something that escaped Piper. Yeah, I read, yeah, I read his piece word for word carefully, and 
Piper, uh, yeah, I said it a couple of times, not only did he avoid the Old Testament, but he talked about the U.S. as being a democracy. And that really reflects you know, the stark ignorance uh, of of a lot of pastors. I mean, Piper, Piper, if you've heard him, He's an intelligent guy. I mean, uh, he, he's yeah, he's tremendously he's a tremendous communicator. Uh, he's well versed in scriptures, but all of us again have that danger of bringing things we believe into the Bible. And many pastors in the states are just ignorant of of this idea as far as the rule of law and what the Constitution says. I mean, talk about the U.S. as democracy. It's a democratic republic. Uh, so some people would say uh, two two wolves uh, and a lamb, uh, or a wolf and two lambs deciding what to eat is democracy. But uh, two wolves and a lamb who's well armed is a republic. The idea is the founders understood very clearly they didn't want mob rule. They didn't want the majority to be able to enforce their their wills upon a minority. And yeah, that was the beauty really of the original intent of the Constitution, individual liberty what the government was supposed to do, and that was protect the rights of the individual. But now, because you know, I don't want to get off on a rabbit trail with cultural Marxism, I've talked about on this show before, political correctness, we don't have rights because you know, you're black, you don't have rights because you're white, you don't have rights because you're a woman, you have rights because you're an individual, but they don't, the powers that be that want to divide us, <laughs> they don't want people to understand that. So, when in, in a in Piper's piece, again, he just it reflects his ignorance of the Constitution and this idea, really, of natural rights and what the purpose of government is. Uh, it's it's very sad. Uh, it's 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 really tremendously sad. JD JD had mentioned that. Uh, you mentioned, and I said too, also Romans 13. I want to read those verses. We'll talk about that. Uh, Piper had cited this letter, Romans 13, starting at verse one. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Uh... So therefore, verse one, what you touched on, Andrew, that every soul be subject to the governing authorities. In in this in in the country we're in now, we're blessed in that authority, the highest law of the land is still the Constitution. But a lot of people, particularly pastors, they're living in a reality, they're living in a post World War Two world where really essentially the president's been made illegally a dictator and they believe in this idea of unconditional submission. And that's why I think a lot of well-meaning pastors get sucked up into this idea of clergy response teams. This, you know, an actual program. Whenever I meet, if I if I meet, uh, if I have occasion to meet a pastor of a large church in particular, I'll ask him, "Do you cooperate at any level with the federal government? Uh, are you part of a clergy response team? Would you let your message or your ministry ever be influenced or controlled by any by any agency of government?" And uh, yeah, I've had one man said, "Absolutely no, I never would." And uh, but it's there. I mean, you think about the Southern Baptist Convention. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, this is the irony. I mean, I get into this when we when we talk about the same-sex marriage issue. The irony is the very people that want to tout a separation of church and state 
are the very people that ignore their belief in a separation of church state when it comes to the state telling the church how to behave, such as marriage or telling people they shouldn't own weapons. I mean, we've got to keep in mind that right now we're in a different – we're just in a different world than we were just 10, 12 years ago. I mean, we have uh, – Absolutely. Yeah. Like it, like it or not, we have a president who came in and said he wants to fundamentally restructure America. Okay, he came in and within the first two weeks, he said that we needed to focus on homeland terrorism, and he defined terrorists. They were homeschoolers, veterans. You know, I mean, basically, if you know, if you're a Christian or you're you're conservative, you're a problem to them. And, you know, if you look at the, 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 the government's own sites where they monitor the groups and individuals that are labeled as homegrown – or, or as, as – as, uh, I forget the, the technical term they call, call it. Radicalized. Radicalized. Yeah. Well, no, it's not radicalized. It's, it's terrorists within the United States, okay? Yeah. They're not they're – not, Islam's nowhere on the list of a terrorist. Yeah. Um, the 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 issue is that they're seeing it as this is um, if you if you are against uh, homosexuality you are a terrorist if you are against uh, basically if you attend a church you know and and that's where it's going I mean look no, you, no, you no, know no, my background I've, I've read yeah I've, I've read I've read a lot of those white papers and this started even under the Bush Department of Justice after 9/11, yeah. a lot well, of this, you know, the, the floodgates, the, is, well, the floodgates rolled. Well, Christians, well, Christians don't realize. I mean, I, you know my background. You know that. I, I mean, yeah. I study a lot on on World War II and the treatment of Jews for for because I grew up with that. But <clears throat> the reality is, is what Christians don't realize that you see this happening is exactly what we had happen in Germany. And people in Germany ignored it because of one thing. They thought they were too civilized, and it couldn't be yeah. happening in their country. Right. And that's exactly the right. mindset people have here. Right, right. And you, so you, pastors you get, you get, think, oh, this right. can't be you, happening. Right. You, you get you – get kind of, I mean, what you're saying is relevant. I want, I want to get back to Piper because he, he's – the argument at hand, his, he was focusing on self-defense. Yeah, I mean, what you're saying is all relevant. He, like I said, I've read those white papers – Piper's yeah. big problem was when he argues for, you know, he he's arguing. It, it seems that he doesn't understand the issue of self-defense or defense of another person versus being willing to to suffer the cause of Christ. In other absolutely, words, absolutely, you're, you're, you're right. It, I want to jump it, into it, his paper. It, right, I want to jump to the paper and quote that he conflates that argument. He he quotes First Peter and other passages and basically say Christians should be willing to suffer, which is true. But then he he makes the error by saying, well, that means because you should be willing to suffer, then you shouldn't defend your own life or the lives of others. He quotes Romans 13, which I quoted already in the beginning, let every person be served to the governing authorities, where there is no authority except from God, those that exist have been instituted by God. And he goes on to say, to be sure there are ambiguities in the way Christian mercy and civic justice intersects. He likes to wear again ambiguity 
And uh, again, J.D. Hall would say it's he's part of the, intellect, the evangelical intellect, intelligentsia. Uh, I think it's just pseudo-intellectualism. Uh, uh, to be sure, Piper says, there are ambiguities in the way Christian mercy and civic justice intersect, but neither can be absorbed into any other. Any exaltation or Christianization of the sword that silences Romans 12, 9-20 has lost its way. So it's the idea that, and then he goes on to say, for example, any claim that in democracy the citizens are the government and therefore may assume the role of the sword-bearing rule of Romans 13 as elevating p- political extrapolation or biblical revelation. So he makes he makes a number of errors there. Number one, he's talking about bearing the sword with self-defense. and It's obviously not the same thing. In other words, if someone is arrested because they shot someone stealing, uh, you know, robbing a convenience store, the owner of the convenience store can't show up at his house before or after the trial and shoot him. That would be bearing the sword. But in the process of being robbed, <laughs> if he takes out a gun <laughs> and defends himself in his property, that that is that's completely consistent, uh, I think, with the Bible. I, I think it's very clear. So he conflates all of that. He, can, he well, confuses clear, all that. I mean, Again, Jesus, Jesus told the disciples to carry a sword. Right, After right, he was about I, right, to leave, right? I, I didn't, I didn't want to get into that. He had quoted, he had quoted Bach. I, I'm not saying it's real complex. It is there. I think he didn't tell them to do it. It wasn't just for self-defense, but that's there. And certainly Chuck Baldwin, he wrote a little book about that. And Chuck Baldwin argued. I, I never really did the research. Chuck Baldwin claims, and I, never, I don't know if you've seen the background where I'm about to say if it's true. Chuck Baldwin claims it was actually illegal at them for them at that time to even have swords. And I don't know if that's true, but that would that would further strengthen our case. But uh, he he did, uh, you know, Piper repeatedly did that. He talks about, you know, the call to suffer and all that. And it's not relevant that none of those texts are relevant to self-defense and, and you know, defending others. Uh, it's, it's just not relevant. He said something I wanted to quote, if I want to find a piece when he talked about, he talked about, uh, Defending you know, self-defense, or could you defend? Uh, could you defend on? Uh, this is, before I get there, here's, here's point number four. Uh, Jesus set the stage for a life of sojourn, sojour, sojourning in this world, where we bear witness that this world is not our home and not our kingdom, by renouncing the establishment or the advancement of our Christian cause with a sword. Uh, J.D. Hall, as well as others like your buddy Joel McDermott. Uh, they jumped all over that with good reason. I mean, this is a colossal era. I mean, and even when it's great when even the theonomist knows this is an insane era. One is saying that self-defense means you're trying to advance, uh, you're trying to establish the kingdom uh, with the sword or you know, the advance for a Christian cause. And no one is saying that. But again, Piper's thinking is that convoluted, that, you know, hey, uh, you have to. <laughs> you know, look, look I, I, the, the real the context. I mean, you got to put it the context, right? So mm-hmm. someone someone comes into your home, and and points a, a gun at you. You're not. They shoot you. You're not dying for the cause of Christ. You're dying no. because they want to rob you. And of course, it's, it, you know when you when you sit there and and I mean this is what I got. What my sense of what Piper was was really saying. I think this is where he's wrong. Is he's arguing like as Christians, we should just accept God's sovereignty, and if if it's wrong to to really challenge that, well, the, how do you know that part of God's sovereignty isn't for me to blow the guy's head off? Maybe right. maybe this is how God wants to bring this guy to justice, because right. I, I'm not dying for the for the cause of Christ. 
Right. I'm dying because someone's trying to rob me. No, that's a, not. A, absolutely. No, no. Well, absolutely. It, to, to me, he, that's no to me, I actually absolutely. think that, that Piper, I think Piper makes a mistake that was from the early centuries. And, and most people don't even know this. You, you probably do because you, know, you, you study church history. But in the early centuries, there was this idea that there was a spiritual gift of martyrdom, that people actually were looking to be martyred that they were looking to be killed because it was some special supernatural uh, spiritual gift that they had to be able to be martyred for the cause of Christ. And and people in the first couple centuries actually, you know, it was recorded that they were almost looking forward to it. They were looking to be martyred because it, it as if it gave them some spiritual uh, benefit. And yeah. this is almost kind of, I, it's not what yeah, he's saying, I, but it's the mindset right. that I have. It, it could be. Right. It could be. I, I tend to look at it more pragmatically, in other words. I look again at the post World War Two world. Uh we have a standing army, which I mean really according to the Constitution, uh, we shouldn't. They left kind of a loophole in the Constitution because every two years the military had to be funded and yeah, you know, we pretty much have been at war. The US, not you and I personally, they've been at war since World War Two. So Piper doesn't deal with standing army, but he repeatedly gave this post World War Two view of, you know, the police and military, police and military. It's just like, well, uh is there or is there not a natural right of self defense? And in the beginning he implied there was and then went on to say it wasn't this is his point number eight. He goes, natural instinct is to boil the issue down to the question can I shoot my wife's assailant? And then he says, my answer is sevenfold. Uh, this is really, this is where we are in, in broader evangelicalism, where this is this is an intellectual and moral tragedy that someone who's respected has to give a sevenfold answer, can I shoot my wife's assailant? I mean, this is, this is where we've, we've degenerated to. And in my opinion, this type of passivity, uh, this is part of the feminization of men, uh, it's passive, it's immoral, and it's irresponsible. Uh, he goes, Piper goes on to say, this, in, this instinct is understandable. But it seems to me that the New Testament resists this kind of ethical reduction and does not satisfy our demand for a yes or no on that question. Yeah, terribly irresponsible. I mean, yeah, just terribly irresponsible. And then he goes on, and there is no direct dealing with the situation of using lethal force to save family and friend, except in regards to police and military. Okay, so... He reads He reads in his view, he's a statist really, I mean, he believes, unlike us, he believes, he believes in the power of the state over the individual, and that's where a lot of this boils down to, and that's why I played that, that clip from uh, about the clergy response team. But uh, hopefully he's not on the payroll, hopefully he's not cooperating with the DHS, it wouldn't surprise me. But the, the point is, this idea, he says, except in regard to the police and military, I mean, this is insane. Uh, this is insane to say, okay, well, someone, someone's about... Someone's breaking into your house, but you can't necessarily do anything. But it's real clear you could call the police. And obviously, I mean, this is something else you look you, you look into as far as a legal basis. The police don't have don't have a legal right to respond in most places because if the police had to respond, then you could sue them for not showing up or showing up too late, and you can't do that. So the police the police are basically reactionary. I mean, that's 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 the way the law is. Uh, he, Piper goes on to say, our, our primary aim in life is to show that Christ is more precious than life. And that would go along with your thing about you know, may, maybe secretly wishing to be a martyr. Uh, but again, the convoluted thinking, yeah, and to me this is really pseudo-intellectual, 
there are hundreds of variables in every crisis that might affect how that happens. No, there's not. Uh, there's not. I mean, it's that, 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 that's ridiculous. Uh, three, Jesus died to keep that assailant from sinning against my family. And I'd say he did, but he didn't, he didn't give you the ability to protect your family to basically relinquish that or surrender that based upon misapplication, mis, uh, misinterpretation of Scripture. For I realize that even this is this is this one is really this is probably the most insane thing in the piece. For I realize that even to call the police when threatened, which in general it seems right to do in view of Romans thirteen one to four, <laughs> may come from a heart that is out of step with the mind of Christ. If one's heart is controlled mainly by fear or anger or revenge, that sinful disposition may be expressed by using the police as well as taking up arms yourself. That's, I mean, he just, he just doesn't have credibility. I mean, <laughs> well, you know, here, here's the the thing that scares me the most with this. Okay, when I look at this, is the fact, like I said, when I look at the Holocaust, World War II, what what happened there, you know, this was the same thing that was argued, the same type of thinking that was yeah. argued back then both with with the the rabbis but also with the clergy they, they you know yep. it was this idea that we had to work with the government because the government can be trusted and i don't know where yep. anyone in their right mind because our founders clearly didn't have this that we can no. trust the government no. the government is made up of the same sinful population that the rest of us are you know, it's. I'm always amazed how it's like greedy business. Well, the same people that make up CEOs in business are the same people that make up governors and mayors. It's the same sinful population. It's this idea that somehow we can trust government because they somehow won't do wrong and they always have our best interest in mind. And no, I, I, World I, I, War II Germany shows that's not true. No, the, the and yeah, the, the there's an organization you you may not be familiar with. You, you mentioned the Jewish upbringing. Uh, one of my favorite groups out there, as far as education on uh, on firearms and self defense, is Jews for the Preservation of Firearms Ownership. Uh, Jews for the Preservation of Firearms Ownership. You go to jpfo.org, I believe it is, uh, and they have what they call a genocide chart. In the 20th century. A conservative number, this conservative number of people that were killed at the hands of their own government. And I'm not talking about militaries. I'm not talking about uniformed combatants. I'm not talking about those in the military. Civilians killed at the hands of their own government after they were disarmed. Conservative number in the 20th century alone is 170 million. 170 million. So when what you said is 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 completely on spot, not just not just philosophically, but practically. When you look at the gun laws in the United States, and this is Again, I know J.D. Hall knows this. I know I know guys like Joel, Joel McDermott know this stuff. When you look at the gun laws in the United States, in 1968, before that, uh, you never there was no idea of licensing gun owners. Okay, and it is a violation. There is no federal basis for any mm-hmm. gun laws. Before that, I think you had two federal gun laws. They had a ban on on fully auto, and you had a, you had one law before that. But they come in and. That was done. That was done after an, assassin, after an assassination, and they got that through. The laws that they used in 1968 for the Omnibus Gun Control Act. And this is all documented. That used the Preservation of Firearms Ownership. There's a book out there, but they have the article. They have other book condensed. The articles are out there. What I'm about to say is documented. Those laws in 1968. Part of it, part of it, was literally translated 
from Nazi gun control laws. They proved it. Now, when that happened in the 60s, some people suspected it. But then later on, they found the actual documents and they proved it. And whenever you hear anyone in the popular culture talk about uh, you know, the American tradition of hunting or you know, guns for hunting purposes, that's not only alien to the Constitution, that's Nazi gun control language that they basically that started to get imported into our country in 1968. I mean, this is this is the truth. Well, they were the they truth. were very clear why they why they wanted us to have the right to bear arms to defend yes. against a tyrannical government. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. no, it was very you clear. Know, I mean, keep in mind this was a time before there was a you know if, if you think back to the the you know when we had the the Revolutionary War. And and there were these small militias that they had to get together. There wasn't a standing army. Even after we were founded, there wasn't a standard army for a long time. Right, you had the Continental Continental Army, but the revolution, what you're saying is is true. The revolution would never have been won without state militias, and that's the way it should have been. And that's another discussion. It said said that the states basically relinquished their right to militia. But we're getting ahead of ourselves because think about this as far as Piper. If we can't get a Christian theologian to even acknowledge the biblical right to self-defense and the biblical right to defend your wife from being attacked, how can we ever that's, get that theologian to admit that Christians might be in a position where they have to defend themselves tyrannical government? I mean, he would he would obviously say no. <laughs> if you can't, yeah, if you well, can't defend yourself exactly against someone breaking into your house. Would want. That's exactly what a tyrannical government would right, want. Right. I don't, and that's I don't why want they... Imp- that's what, you know... That's why they go to these to pastors to try to get them on board. Yep. And I mean, right. and I'm not saying this is the case with Piper, but sure. you already mentioned some. We we've seen this with with you know evolution where there's pastors that have Darwin Day, where it's a it's a uh, pretty much government sponsored. It's it's a a <laughs> thing not from the government, but it's sponsored through through government funds, right? To have a Darwin Day in a church, it's like suddenly no separation of church and state. What? It's the same thing. Yeah, it's it. Yeah, Piper went on. There's a few other things I wanted to say about what he wrote. He goes, uh, sub point number five under his yeah incredibly his his answer to this incredibly complex question is mine. Can I shoot my wife to sell it? Number five. I live in the inner city of Minneapolis, and I would personally counsel a Christian not to have a firearm available for such circumstances. So, is it loving? Is it loving? Okay, the Bible says, you know, we have the image of Christ in church, okay, in Ephesians. So you lay you lay yourself down, Christ lay himself down for church. So uh, he's not willing he's not willing to fight or tell anyone to have a firearm to not even defend their wife. Uh, it's yeah, this is this is this is tragic. Well, uh, I I, is, I like I, I like what uh, what what J D Hall had said. Uh, and I don't know if you tuned in to Bible something. Yeah. No, when mm-hmm. uh, yeah. they had a they had, and he he had a great line that I just loved. He, he said, "You know what? Someone like that that has this view, like Piper, you're not going to marry my daughter. <laughs> no. I mean, if you're if yeah. you if you think that that a Christian should not defend his wife <laughs> against someone that wants to rape her, you're not marrying my daughter. <laughs> and, no, that, that, and that's, that's really it. I mean, no, if J- J- I J- actually think plug, right." Yeah, I think I think that for for somebody to say that, to and and or to believe that, and say that they almost as if our Christian as a Christian we 
should not defend our wife against someone that that wants to rape them. That is is dereliction of duty as a husband. It's irresponsible as a Christian because as a Christian we should be taking care of the poor and and widows. How much more should we be t- defending our our family? Okay, both physically and financially. But I think that it's it's you know there is this term legally when you when you see a crime that you could stop and you do not it's actually a crime to not come to someone's defense when you could have and, right. and, and, and that's piper's what response, that is piper's response would probably be then we'll let yourself get shot first and you can feel better let let yourself get killed first and then they kill somebody else but you go back to see again how far we've gone from the rich biblical and theological basis of uh, you know founding this country, I want to reiterate again: most of the founders weren't believers, but they were deeply influenced by biblical thought. You go back to John Locke raising the Puritan home: self-defense is the first law of nature. Each person knows <laughs> their own life, and no other person has a right to take that life. Those who would attempt to stop you from defending yourself. That would be John Piper, or attacking the very right from which all the rights are derived. Uh, it, it's 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 just terribly immoral. One, two other points about about Piper. I'll see if anything else to wrap this up. In his point number nine, even though the Lord ordains for us to use ordinary means for providing for life, work, work to eat, plant and harvest, take food, drink, sleep and medicines, save for future needs, provide governments with police and military forces. And that's funny. Provide governments with police and military forces for society. He throws that in. Uh, nevertheless, the unique calling of the church is to live in such reliance on heavenly protection and heavenly reward that the world will ask about our hope, not about the ingenuity of our armed defenses. Uh, and, well, see, uh, but there's a, there's an inconsistency. There's an inconsistency. Yeah. If he's really going to believe that with with an armed defense, okay, right. then he shouldn't do farming. He should stand right. back and look at his field and say, "Let my neighbors be amazed at the field and the crop that God gives me. Right. I will put no work into it. I will let it all be a work of God." Right. If he's going to be right. consistent, he, that's what he should do. Right, and, and elsewhere, he elsewhere he talks about he he talks about fear and trust. It's like, well, nah, if there was no law for me to have a seatbelt, I would always ride with the seatbelt. Okay, I have firearms. I don't trust in them. I yeah, you know, I have life. I have uh, I have health insurance. I don't trust in it. I have locks on the door. I don't trust. And ultimately, you provide God is giving you the means uh, you know, to have these things. But the, the the other thing I wanted to say. Which again, I've mentioned repeatedly his how he throws in the you know, government, you know, government with police and military again, uh, you know, very wicked. His status, status point of view, yeah, you know, he, he should be ashamed. He should be ashamed, really, uh, of his heritage. I mean, as a Christian, you know, he should just be ashamed of it. But uh, others have pointed out that this serves, this serves the security state. This serves, this serves the security state because the Washington Post ran his piece, and they changed the title. Piper called it on desiring God should Christians be encouraged to arm themselves, and his answer was obviously no. Uh, the Washington Post ran it completely, and he says, John Piper, why disagree with Jerry Fowell on Christians and guns? The Washington Post obviously is yeah, a neoliberal outlet, and they want us disarmed. And so another Christian writer, as McDermott pointed out, this is really insidious because 
the normal Washington Post op-ed, this is like five times. Did it just drop? K-I-R-P Radio! Andrew, are you there? I have lost I've lost my I've lost my friend, but not in life, just on the show. Uh, I uh I wanted to wrap it up by saying again it's it's not good when Christians that should know better are ignorant of how we got our civil law here, how we got our constitution. That's not good. It's unfortunate people again, come to radically different conclusions than other Christians that were instrumental in shaping the laws we have in this country. And it is sad when a Christian leader says he can't give a clear answer to whether or not he would use force to defend his wife. Uh, I think the scriptures do speak to this uh, in the in the Old Testament. Uh, I think the tenor of the New Testament, again, it's not it's not always directly addressed, but it doesn't prohibit it. <laughs> and we have to see that if, if life is a gift from God, it is worthy of defense, as John Locke would say. Uh, thank you for listening this week. Apoji will be back next week at KIRP Radio. KIRP Radio!